Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Star Wars Report. Uh, we have a very special presentation of the podcast this week. It's part two of our revenge, well, our hashtag revenge of the fifth uh, Star Wars episode three commentary slash party. Uh, we had a great time recording this. Um, and hey, check out patreon.com slash Star Wars Report if you want to download the MP3 of the whole commentary and sync up and watch it on Disney Plus just like we did. You can do that patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. And we do thank everybody who's supporting the show directly and making it happen over there. Uh, check it out. Rogue Transmissions at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. But without further ado, it's episode three, Revenge of the Sith, part two. Because I, I, this is a, I mean, this is classic Star Wars, but I'm trying to put my finger on what I like about this confrontation so much. I, what I like about the, especially how it ends is just that you get a Jedi that, you know, he uses a blaster to take out his enemy, which is something that you don't typically see a Jedi do. And and then it just goes into this gross violence. And, and then Obi-Wan has the classic line where he's just like, so uncivilized. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and tosses the gun. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. Yeah. I remember my mom watching this with my sister. I think it's the first time we were watching this or maybe, I remember it was one of the first times we watched it and she would, she fast forwarded that scene. She couldn't, she's like, no, nah, I'm not watching the grievous flames shooting out of the eyes thing. Uh, so, a uh, Sith, Lord, uh, yeah, he's doing the right thing right now. That is true. Yeah, he's I mean, doing the right thing. He has not yet gone to. You know, he hasn't. He's still considering this to, to turn this guy in. This still shows Anakin in the mindset that he was in when in the opera house where he was still defending the Jedi Order. That he, I, I forget. The, I'm paraphrasing, but like the Jedi are uh, seek to. You know, bring peace and justice. We don't. They don't seek power. Um, and Palpatine's like, or do they? And so he's still sort of in that scene, and now in this scene, towing the line. But he's. I don't know. I think it, his decision is already almost made. I, I think he's just sort of waiting for the narrative to play out. And the second that Mace Windu challenges and arrests the Chancellor. That's the convenient narrative he needs to excuse his, you know, reasoning to kill them. Mm. Love this. May scene. I interject? Mm-hmm. Oh, who was just saying I love the scene? Was that you, Bruce? That was me. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel bad that I talked over my other favorite scene in this movie, which was the balcony scene earlier. But this, to me, is like classic George Luke. Hmm. the ability right the the fact that he was so informed by making silent films yes um this is that moment right like yes you have that brief little brief little voiceover by palpatine but the rest of this scene is told through the music and it's so beautiful and it's so haunting it's so different right i think john williams with this particular little piece it's called padme's ruminations on on the soundtrack um right it's it tells you it well it doesn't tell you anything but it helps you feel everything um i just i love this moment so much and it is um maybe going a little bit to to your point aaron about you know the idea of anakin 
being or not being a sympathetic character. I think this scene is the one that always makes me sympathetic for him because as he's kind of looking across the cityscape um, and, you know, and there is this just like kind of beautiful little bond between him and Padme. In the novel, they actually feel this bond. Um, it's explicitly stated in the novel. And and it has me thinking a lot about like this dyad concept that we obviously got with episode nine. Um, and, and in a way how like Ben and, and Ray are the perfection of what Anakin and Padme were not in some ways. <laughs> um, but right, but as he gazes across that city and, and, and has this, that tear come down his face is I think he knows he's about to make a really bad choice. And it doesn't diminish the fact that he's making it for selfish reasons. Um, but I think that's what kind of does make it tragic is at the end of the day, Anakin's tragedy is the fact that he just feels uh, like uh, he lost the love that supported him his whole life. And I, I've always thought that his his obsession with Padme um, is, isn't even purely romantic it's more of this weird replacement of the love he lost from Shmi. And I think they even mm. set that up in Phantom Menace. Um, right. So as he's looking across there, it's just, I can't lose this person because I already lost my mother. Um, and I think he knows he's about to go make yeah. a horrible choice. Now, does that mean it's okay? Of course not. But I think he is, he just feels so stuck and, it's the only course of action he thinks he can take. And that's why I think he like the, why that that tear is him mourning the loss of his innocence and having to let go of the mm. good person he was. So this scene that's happening right now, I was so disappointed. Once again, I'll blame other media, but I had been reading all the Dark Horse comics about the different Jedi and uh. the characters that Palpatine takes out before he takes out uh, or before, you know, Walt, before his fight with Mace, you know, Kit Fisto and, um, you know, Stacey Tin. Uh, they, those characters were so cool in the comics and were so accomplished Jedi. And then to see him just kind of wipe them out in like half a second, I was mm. just like, I was pretty pissed. I was just like, come on, let those guys swing their lightsabers at least a couple times. Yeah. And I really do. If you watch the behind-the-scenes documentary, Aaron, it's 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 such a tragedy because you watch it unfold, and Nick Gillard sort of gets the 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 edict from George that oh, we want to shoot it all with Ian McDermott doing the fight and really limit the stunt double, and thus we need to just get rid of the other guys because we're not going to do this crazy fight. Because Nick Gillard talks about how they had this crazy fight between four Jedi and one Sith Lord choreographed, and it just like a piece of my heart died. When I was watching that as uh, as like a teenager, I was like, "Oh, that'd be so cool!" It's pretty cool that Ian McDermott does the like 1080 though jump out of his chair. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't know how he did that real. one. Yeah, yeah. It's treason. Then no, you will die. <laughs> and uh, the first the first moment of um, descent was Count Dooku's beheading and. The second and, and really final deciding moment here, which and you talked, uh, Carl, about that that silent film moment that we just had that that showed us the without words, by the way, the decision that he's made. What's about to happen just becomes inevitable. Which, by the way, I was kind of right. doing a little little background reading before we recorded tonight, and I was reading Roger Ebert's original review, 
and and in it, in it he says this film kind of works best as a silent film like where the dialogue almost is is not needed in the face of the imagery and john williams music and and, and and I just couldn't help but think of that, Carl, when you were talking about this sort of silent film moment of him and Padme standing and thinking of each other across the mm. horizon. That's that's one thing um, I love that we got as a bonus feature with The Last Jedi was the ability to watch it with just the score. Um, yeah, that's so cool. I wish they would do that. For, and and I, I, I've watched it twice now, but I, I watched it just last week for the second time. And because I've really come around on Last Jedi just in the last like six to seven months, um, and it made me love it even more with just the score version. And I, mm. Riley, I think it'd be so cool if we could watch every single one of these movies with just the score. Oh yeah, um, and it's also what's cool too is you get to notice where there isn't music. Um, and this movie has a very particular scene that has no music that I've always found interesting. And it's the moment when Anakin and Obi-Wan say goodbye to one another for the last time, right? When Obi-Wan's going to board the ship to head for Utapau, that exchange between the two of them there, there's literally no music. And I've just, I've always found that so curious. Hmm. Yeah. And curious in the sense of like, I wonder if maybe there had been music and then George decided to get rid of it. Right. Cause we all know that John Williams often does yeah. score most movies from, you know, beginning to end. And then George sometimes takes it out. Yeah. It wouldn't be the um, first time. Yeah. You're right. Right. So I'm just curious if that scene ever had music. Um, yeah. but if it didn't, and obviously it doesn't now. So I wonder why that is right. Like that's kind of a, kind of a big moment. So the last mm-hmm. time they see each other as, as friends and brothers. Yeah. I can't uh, live without her. <laughs> let me ask you, let me ask you all another question. Um, so this scene, right. When Anakin, you know, I pledge myself to your teachings. I pledge Anakin, myself. Any of us could act better than this, but whatever. To um, your teachings. <laughs> does so? Is this Anakin actually choosing to be a Sith, or just going a route that he thinks of saving Padme? So, so, so the question's just simply put: Is does Anakin really care about being a Sith? Like, is that what he's doing here? What mm. do you guys? What do you all think? I think, yeah. I think this is Anakin realizing he's gone too far and there's no way back. Mm. I think when he saw, you can kind of see it when when what's happening to Mace and when Mace gets shot out the window, you can kind of see Anakin's reaction is almost like, holy crap, like I can't believe I just watched that. <laughs> like, And then he says, you know, what have I done? And then he's like, I'll do whatever you want. Just mm. help me save Padme. At this point, he's not like, you know, ready to start study, studying Sith lore and get out the books and become like the most powerful Sith Lord. He's just, he had one focus and that was to save Padme. And now he realizes he's gone too far down this path, this route to save her. And there's no way back. And so mm. to answer your question, I know I don't think he's interested in being a Sith. Yeah, I agree with Aaron. What happens? <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with Aaron because I always took the scene as him not necessarily wanting to be a Sith, but just okay, I'm there, and yeah, there's no turning back, and this is the path that's before me. I've fallen too far. I can't go back. Just, just you know, give me a lead, Palpatine. Show me what to do. I'm, I'm, I can't even go back to the Jedi at this point. Yeah, and yeah, I. Th- this is it. And it's not a desire to be Sith. It's just a desire to, yeah, save Padme. And this is the way it's going to happen now. Mm. I mean, I guess that that does 
flipped the switch where he is now on team red lightsaber and the Jedi are now the enemies and that I guess you could use it. But you know, even as I'm talking out loud and I'm thinking about whatever justification could be in his mind, I think this is the scene. This is the moment when he pledges himself to the teaching of Sidious. That's, that's him giving up. That's that this to me, Aaron. Now this scene is where I no longer am sympathetic to him as a character and and I see his, it, it. What led to this point is a tragedy. He, what happens hereafter is is just sorrow throughout the movie, and 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 it's sort of a progression of each of the characters realizing it. Yoda, Obi Wan, Padme, realizing what's happened, and that Anakin has has gone to the dark side. And and there's only one character who expresses any hope for his transformation that's padme at the end which i think is probably the most significant thing for now that i think about it because there's a lot of very i think accurate and and well well done criticism of padme being the you know barefoot and pregnant character that is not nearly as active as she is in the previous two prequels but that that's a big moment of her sort of seeing um some glimmer of redemption because i mean Look at what we're watching now. This is this is the moment. Darth Vader enters the Jedi Temple to slaughter the entire order, and and it's understandable why Yoda and Obi Wan don't see any any path for redemption to someone who could do this. And one thing I will say is, I, maybe I can't see him as a sympathetic character, but I can see the sadness in what ultimately happens to him. And you know, if you look at him as a child in in the phantom menace and he was a slave and he was rescued from that slavery by the jedi essentially and he only to turn himself back into a slave to the sith and he really is i mean he really is subservient to palpatine from this point on and then he gets trapped in this armor on top of that so he goes you know he he gives up his freedom again and it's it is tragic. Yeah, it is. What well, one one thing um, that I what, the one Clone Wars arc that I loved that played with that idea a bit more too was the um, the slavers of Kadavo. Um, is that what it's called, Kadavo? Yeah, I think Am I so. Right about that, um, right? But the the queen, right? When she is, says to Anakin, you know, you know, oh, your allegiance to the Jedi and the Republic—that's just another form of slavery. Um, Right, so even even in the Clone Wars, they kind of play with the idea that is, you know, Anakin's no longer a slave, but yet he has all these weird obligations to the Jedi. Um, so, yeah, is Anakin even fully free as a Jedi? I don't know. Yeah, I, I knew someone was going to make that point when I said that. I was just <laughs> I was hoping nobody would pick up on it. Uh, I'm just, you know, I think you're. I think we're a diet of the Force, Aaron. He was never truly free. Yeah, that's the tragedy of Anakin. Tragedy of Anakin, but I'm not sympathetic. <laughs> Stick by that. <laughs> Here's another. The Coyote Monday at least got to deflect some blaster bolts. I'll give right. him some props, but everybody else just goes out like a punk. It's like let these guys fight back. And when you see yeah. what happens with Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, yeah, and her, you know, fighting against the clones, and it's it's so different. It's like man. Was she just that much of a better Jedi than the rest of them? 
So yeah, I, that kind of bothered me, but I just assume I, in my head canon, we're not seeing every Jedi. I'm pretending some really fought back like that, and maybe some escaped and some died. So well, I brought that, up that to Riley. I I've heard you know the the whole thing with Ray being suddenly very powerful, and I I was wondering if anyone has that criticism of Ahsoka. I thought about it. When I, I was thinking the same thing, I was like, how can Ahsoka be this powerful? And I thought, well, that's what people say about Rey, too. Right, so. right. Yeah. I think it's just because they're women. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Riley left. No, there's some people that would agree with that. <laughs> this is though. going crazy. <laughs> Riley, come back. I'm back. Wait, what Your you ratings what, are going what down. What are you guys talking about? I, I left. Uh, I, had to, I was resupplying. What, what's so going on? Versus Rey and how powerful they are. What does that have to do with Order 66? I don't know. We were talking about the survival, like how how uh, Ahsoka put up such a better fight than oh, any of these Jedi. Oh, yeah, that's true. Down. True story. But I mean, some of it's just down to like, you know, which characters you're focusing on. And obviously, if you're going to have a whole show that Ahsoka is the main character, you want her to have an awesome, you know, scene. Yeah. Whereas some of these just background Jedi, nobody really cares if well, they the, just get shot in the back. There's a contrast here. Somebody puts up a good fight. That's Yoda. Main character. Yeah, sorry, Plo Koon. Know some- yeah, that, that was something. So going back to like our earlier conversation about the finale of Clone Wars, right? I really thought that that final episode, episode four, there. Um, first off, it should have been like a forty-five minute episode as opposed to twenty-three minutes because it's the last one. Like, let's go all in. Um, yeah. And rather than being a you know predominantly like escape episode, I was really expecting us to get some more Order sixty-six stuff and have that play in a bit more with the way that they were tying it all in so beautifully. In the previous couple episodes, right? Like, I, I didn't, I don't want them to necessarily focus their whole attention on it, but I thought we were going to get to see that play out a bit more and see mm. it feel a little bit more of its galactic impact, right? Because episode three ending with Rex saying, It's all of us, right? It really gives you that sense of doom. Mm. Like, holy crap, the Jedi yeah. are doomed. And then to just keep the story just focused in on this escape of Ahsoka and Rex from the ship, it's like, really? That's. So again, I don't, I don't mean to keep like harping mm. on it, and I, I don't, I don't like. I love that it worked for so many people, but again, that to me was just another reason of why it was just so underwhelming. Because it's like, man, the previous three episodes, mm. like they elevated all these galactic consequences so beautifully, while still maintaining mostly the story of Ahsoka, and then the last episode, we don't get anything about that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah, you know, um, like. The way, right, Aaron, until I kind of go to your point, I I feel like that would have been an opportunity for them to maybe play out a bit more of the Jedi resistance, um, you know, which could have could have done done some justice to the to the lack of time we had for it in the movie. Yeah. Oh, poor Jet. Jet's going down. I will say uh, one of the best things about Rogue One is uh, Jimmy Smith's. Mm. I was just about to say that. Ah, Jimmy, I was just about to say, how cool is it that they put Bail Organa in Rogue One? Mm. Yeah. And what we're learning, ladies and gentlemen, is that Aaron and Carl are about to start their own Star Wars podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I listen to. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing. I want. I want to hear Aaron on on Wampa's Lair. I'm shamelessly uh, advocating for that. Um, be pretty cool. I think I did Wampa's Lair maybe a long, long time it's been ago. A lo- yeah, probably it before a long- I was actually good at podcasting. It was a long time. It probably back before I was good at podcasting. Too. You guys sure didn't that. Me back it's on. a long time, long time. <laughs> to be That's fair, we I- rarely have guests on. So 
That's why I haven't been on because I'm still not good at podcasting. <laughs> no, Bruce is. Bruce, we'll make never... our own podcast. <laughs> Gosh. I think I'm going to get fired just, after this. What would you call your podcast? I want, I want Bruce and uh, Mark Herleman to do a show, just the two of them. And the show, the whole premise of the show can be who hmm. said what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get over how similar the two of you sound. <laughs> I think can, all can three all of you sound like Chewbacca was wedged into this movie and was not needed. Yep. <laughs> boo. This is why I'm boo. Yep. Boo. Uh, do you all did or have you all read the story of how he tried to wedge Han Solo into this movie? I I don't know much other than it was in early versions of the script. But I don't know what role Han Solo was set to so, play. Yeah, I vaguely so he, remember. Yeah, so basically what what Han Solo's role in the movie, he was just going to have a small cameo, kind of just like Chewie, but it was going to be explained that he was living with Chewie and Chewie's family because he was an orphan, and yeah. Chewie found Han and kind of adopted him in. Oh, uh, that's cute. Like in Solo. <laughs> like Solo, yeah, but different. Sort of. yeah, yeah, different. So, yeah. Um, well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that... Well, yeah, Solo couldn't have worked because he didn't know who Chewie was, but... Um, yeah, I, I like that that wasn't in there because one, it's not needed, and two, um, I, I actually think that the the story of Han and Chewie meeting in Solo is the most compelling we've gotten of, of all of them. So if Han Solo was in this movie, how old would he be? Like, so he was going to be like twelve. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because because Han's like thirty two in A New Hope. Okay, which is how twenty is years Leia? after this. So yeah, They've so he had was going to be like concept art. They did. Like yep. The young Han Solo. Yeah. yeah. yeah Han Solo's like 12 years older than kid. Leia. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's kind of awkward when you read The the Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, we listened <laughs> to that recently. Yeah. Harrison Ford was kind of a not great human. He was married with children and did that. It's a, it's a, it's just an yeah. unfortunate. I specifically listened to that one chapter. <laughs> we were listening to that chapter. Of, listen, Carrie Fisher's a good writer, though. That's a good book, it's, Princess Diaries. You know what's also interesting is that story blew up when Princess Diaries came out, but that story is also in J.W. Rinsler's Making of a New Hope. So That's the like, funny it's been thing. out there for a while. I didn't realize that because I wasn't aware of it until yeah. the book came out. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it's probably not It's probably not fleshed out in the same way, but <laughs> no, it's, it's clearly... It's, clearly in jw rinsler's book yeah so because that's the first time i'd heard of it was when i read that book yeah so do you think padme senses anakin's deception or is that an unfair characterization i think at this point anakin has turned he is now in full deceit mode like he is not honest he's 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 kind of lying through his teeth yeah well also really quick just to uh, to go with aaron's to Give Aaron some more evidence of him not being sympathetic. When he's kind of looking at Padme in these moments, not right here at the end, right as he's about to leave, but for a second, did you notice how he reached out and kind of like touched a lock of her hair? The way he looks at her right there is like a possession. Uh, yeah. Like yeah, right here right? too. Like, yeah, like, this is little... fine. Yep. And, and like, you really hear him say that to Obi-Wan and, you know, in a little bit later, right? Like, you will not take her you from me. You will not take her from she's me. Be- she's become his mm. in a very un- unhealthy way. Um, right. And I, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever really noticed that, but yeah, like the way he just kind of touched her hair, it's like, this is mine. Hmm. And that's all sorts of messed up. Yeah. Well, that's all, like, if you watched attack of the clones, which you did last night, um, that's <laughs> With Aaron. how he is the whole movie. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when we were, you know, sharing that popcorn and, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that good out times, good times. I know. Was, we made one hell of a blanket for it too. That was great. 
Well, actually, Aaron, I commented on this last night when I was watching it with um, that scene when he and Padme are having their picnic and he asks he asks her he asks her about any other previous relationships and she brings up Paolo. He immediately gets super <laughs> jealous and bratty. It's like this is a relationship she had when she was probably like nine years old, bro. <laughs> cool it. <laughs> like he's so like hello red flag <laughs> yeah that's true I have a question for the crowd so starsreport@gmail.com. email your answer no, I don't know if this is discussed I don't know what you guys discussed previously in the past 30 some years this is good this is good yeah Star Wars I'm just making guesses here but is the is the incline or the I've had a lot of wine. <laughs> but is the is the suggestion that if Anakin had made the right choice by not going to the dark side, he would have saved Padme because she quote dies of a broken heart. Hmm. Or was or was Padme's fate of dying in childbirth predestined? Is this religious? I don't know. This is a good question. Uh, I'm going to toss it to Bruce. Bruce, what do you think? Cause this is I don't know. She was slurring. I couldn't understand. Oh my what she was I was slurring. I was. Oh was I slurring? No, 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 no. So no. Wait, you're asking if uh, it was predestined that she was going to die. Ending. Yeah. You know, it's like the fact that there's visions of it. It almost sounds like history is written before it happens. But but are the visions more of? Anakin choosing the dark side and that's the consequence of him choosing the dark side. It's a chicken and an egg. Hmm. I, I, we know yeah, it's Luke, showing you the possible future because of Anakin going to the dark side and the dark side is showing the results of his choice. Right. You're right. It is kind of a weird chicken and egg thing, but I think that there's an element of Anakin's fall that um, or and, and Padme's death that's foretold it's he he fulfills that which he's most afraid of and i think george was probably i think there's a kind of poetry that he's going for there i don't know what do you think aaron i mean i think that i have no reason to believe that she would have died if he if he had stayed on the light side right. you know we know that luke saw visions of his of his friends dying and that didn't come to pass um i think that yeah, I think it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. He was probably seeing visions of his own actions, and I, I think if he had stayed on the light side, she would have survived. That's where that's where I lean. It's almost like to go on the tragedy kind of train that Riley keeps talking about. It is almost Shakespearean and Romeo and Juliet-like and the true essence of a tragedy. Um, I haven't done it lit in a while, but it kind of seems similar. Well, there's an element of like this didn't have to happen. There's uh, well, which is what Romeo and Juliet is about. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it, exactly, and, and I mean, same thing. I think of Gollum's death in uh, Lord of the Rings, where it's this sort of odd chance at the end. It didn't have to happen, but um, uh, doesn't like Palpatine rubbing in his face too at the end. It seems <laughs> in you your anger, <laughs> you killed her. You could have kept your bleep together but (laughs) (laughs) they're self-censored um oh yeah get some go yoda go yoda take out those clones i uh, before clone wars you know when you watch this movie and you don't really have any attachment to the clones you're like yeah get some behead some more yoda let's go 
Oh yeah, power pose, power pose, Jedi pose. You know, Yoda. That was his last chance to really kind of look all badass. He, I think, he had a good sense that you know this is never going to happen again. He knew the camera was zooming in. He had to do a quick pose. <laughs> He's a puppet. <laughs> Um, something I like in this scene when uh, Sidious raises his hands when they start, you know, celebrating him being the new emperor. Uh, Ian McDermott brings back that exact same physical no- motion when in, in episode nine, when he's finally off of that big claw and he declares to the crowd, look what you've made. And they all start cheering for him and he raises <laughs> his hands in the exact same way as he does here. And I just, I, I love that parallel. I, I didn't that notice that. Yeah. yeah. It's the, it's the exact same. It's good to call back. Pretty cool. Man. Carl, did you like, uh, Rise of Skywalker? I do. I, I like it for what it is. I, I don't, I still don't find it a fulfilling conclusion to the sequels, let alone the saga. Um, but it's a really fun story and that's what I've, that's what I just appreciate about mm. it. So, um, what about, do you? Yeah, I do. I like it a lot. I I wasn't a big fan of of the Last Jedi, so okay, I was excited to, for something different. And Rise of Skywalker was different. Oh yeah, yeah. I I didn't like Last Jedi for like the first eight months it was out, and I've just uh, I was actually literally just talking about this last week on the show about how that's the biggest thing that's changed for me in Star Wars in the last year is I've I've really come to love it. Um, and and honestly, what's made me fall in love with it was Rise of Skywalker. Interesting. Um, yeah, um, and, because good. Sorry, Carl. I was just gonna say, um, I, Bruce. I know I talked to you about this, but I had this theory that there will be a contingent of fandom, maybe not everybody, that that did not like Last Jedi at all when it came out, but where it's going to grow in the public's mind in a similar way that the that the Empire that the Empire Strikes Back did. And I and I'm not saying it's the same going to be exactly the same it's not going to be the new empire strikes back but i think there is an element of some of the storytelling choices that ryan johnson made that became so unpopular in the following year or two that i think with rise of skywalker actually work well uh and and i think with as a trilogy as it um wraps up as it wrapped up the trilogy i think it puts a different context that I think people maybe can't get past right now in the age of Twitter and mob politics and stuff like that, that has crept into fandom. Sadly, uh, I, I think as we get a couple years out, Carl, you're the, you're becoming, you're, you're sort of my first test case maybe. <laughs> of the yeah. No, I, I, mean, I, I didn't, uh, there was like a very brief period where I was very like vehemently anti last Jedi. Um, but for the most part, I always try, especially on our show, like I always try my best to stay as positive as possible. Yeah. Um, while, while obviously always owning the fact that there are things I don't like and being willing to share them, you know, in a critical lens, not just like, I hated this, it was stupid, but like being yeah. analytical about it, like here's why it didn't work for me type of a thing. That's my, my uh, least favorite Star Wars conversation that happens on podcasts or Twitter was like, insert statement. Right? There's no like why, how, explanation of, discussion. No. It's just like the such and such sucks. There's no like why or why isn't it not your thing or what works right. about it or what doesn't or, work about it. Like, yeah. 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 Well, so here's the thing. This is something I talked about um, uh, with friends when I, when I kind of compare Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalkers. I always go back to my initial response at the end of both times i saw them for the first time so the first screening of last jedi i remember saying to my friends wow that was a really great movie 
it didn't feel like a really good Star Wars movie. And then I remember at the end of Rise of Skywalker, I said that was a really good fan film. <laughs> um, and and I meant that. I meant yeah. that in all the I meant that in all the loving ways and in all the critical ways, right? I meant it in the loving ways of like yes, like we got so much of what I kind of wanted to see. That was so much fun. That was great. But in the critical way, it was like I wish it had continued going the route of Last Jedi, where we were trying something new. Um, hmm. You know, so yeah. so that's why like it, for me as it stands, like as the sequel trilogy, um, Force Awakens is just a great re-entrance into the world. Last Jedi is a great film. Rise of Skywalker is an incredibly fun movie. Okay, so uh, what was it about Rise of Skywalker that made you now appreciate and like The Last Jedi? Because it raised new questions. Um, it raised the notion of what happens when a villain chooses to stay the villain. Um, the, the idea that the Force had chosen a new nobody rather than making her a, a, you know, bloodline related to some of these characters. Um, I loved that notion that the, you know, that the force had chose someone new because the Skywalker line had fallen short. <laughs> um, and, and I love that she chose that name. Um, so yeah, I think those are the, those are the main things. Um, the fact that our heroes all failed and that was okay because we had a new crop of heroes. Um, yeah, I think, and right, like the way the movie ends, and this is what, like, I'm I'm always very emotional as I see the end of it because it is very emotional, like it hits the the heartstrings pretty well. But at the end of the day, it's like this is the exact same ending as Return of the Jedi, right? Who's to say Palpatine can't come back again, um, right? Oh, they just destroyed everything. It, it's the exact same thing again, and I think that was the problem. Is I feel like now when I look back, I feel like. Ryan Johnson was steering the myth of being a myth to inform the modern world a bit more, whereas Rise of Skywalker just went back to the simple, like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, which, of course, is a pinnacle point of Star Wars. Um, but I think, you know, with Rise of Skywalker, it's it's like, well, you just told me the same ending I got in 1983. Right. Um, so that's why, and I, and I know, like, I know that, might sound like really negative and I, I don't mean it to be negative it's just i think last jedi started to raise questions that would require new answers and we didn't get new answers so um does that does that make sense it does and i kind of felt that way too because i really liked the last jedi and when i saw rise of skywalker i felt the same way it felt i don't want to say fan film but i know exactly what you're saying it was like checking off the boxes of what fans would want to see and trying to call back to what we've seen something earlier and there's a lot of echoing of things we've seen before but then at the same time i thought well george lucas does that too you know it's that mm -hmm. echoing yeah. and repeating of themes and stories and such so i'm i'm just curious if anybody here on the show that uh feels that now that we've seen the sequel trilogy has that made you appreciate or change your view of the prequel trilogy Aaron uh I think the main difference for me now and probably because of Rise of Skywalker using Palpatine is how Palpatine really was the you know the true phantom menace that was in the background from ep from episode one to episode nine you know and I think that that actually works really well. And I, I would disagree with a lot of what you said, um, Carl, but I won't get into it because it would take the rest of this movie. <laughs> but I, I don't think that... I, I don't necessarily think that The Last Jedi was trying anything new necessarily that was different than what we saw from the other movies. 
And I don't know, I, I mean, kind of where J.J. ended it, I don't know how else he could have with what was set up for him. So I don't know. Like, and like I said, it'll probably, the debate would take longer than we have. Mm, uh, an upcoming episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. There you go. I've set it up. It's happening. <laughs> Do it. Do it, guys. Um, well, so real quick, though, like if Ryan Johnson's vision had seen it through and Palpatine didn't come back, um, wouldn't that kind of break the the idea that Palpatine was kind of, you know, he was the villain all along? He yeah. was the original villain. He doesn't need to be the one all along. But he was throughout the the other six movies. So for him to come back kind of makes sense, right? I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't mind that he's back. Like, I, I, I think it, it, it certainly works. I don't think it disrupts the flow. Um, but did it need to happen? Definitely not. Do you think um, Ryan was going to introduce another villain other than Ky- Kylo, or was Kylo going to just get redeemed and there was never another villain? I well, so that here's the thing, right? Like, I don't think Ryan thought about that. Like, he, why you're making why, a central movie? I don't think he needed think to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I. I when he, he clearly did, and in his mind, the new villain is Kylo. Why does there need to be another one? Right? That was something different. You know, Vader was never the main villain of the original movies. We learned that. I mean, we learned it very explicitly in Empire. We, I mean, it's hinted at in A New Hope. Um, so do we need another big bad? You know, I mean, that's that's the question at the end of the day. Um, right. I, it would so, have just been interesting to see if he would have gone down the redemption route, which it seemed like it was headed and not have another villain involved. Mm. And I guess we'll never know. It'd be interesting. Right. Maybe, yeah. maybe 20 years from now, he'll, there'll be a yeah. tell all book where he'll tell us what his intentions were. But well, I like that they brought Palpatine back. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not necessary, but I like that that happened because if you're trying to conclude this saga into nine films, I mean, just this movie we're watching now, Palpatine is pulling all the strings. Everything that's going on in the saga is because of Palpatine. So to go to the sequel trilogy and realize the same thing is happening, he's he is telling the story of Star Wars. He is making everything happen. And it ends with not just to me, this is the Skywalker saga anymore. It's the Skywalker slash Palpatine saga. I mean, now it just feels that way to me because Palpatine was in this last movie. Mm. And because Ray is a descendant of his. And so now it's, you know, the story continues after episode nine into whatever, but it's no longer a Skywalker, even though she's a Palpatine that claims the Skywalker name. It's kind of combined into one now. Well, there's an mm. element, and I, I wish I had the email in front of me. Someone emailed the the Star Wars Report show. I think we'll talk about it in an upcoming episode about there's not, not just, not only is Ray a Palpatine, but when her connection to the Skywalker lineage is is through Leia's training. Leia's kind of, in in some form, a a, a mother figure for her. By the time yes. we get to Rise of Skywalker, and now granted, we don't get to see a lot of that, courtesy of tragic real life events. But that is sort of the core story. The opening scene kind of tells us a little bit about her connection to the Skywalker family, which you know the the rise and fall of Anakin, leading to the rise and fall of. Uh, well, rise, fall, redemption of Anakin, and then in some ways, rise, fall, and redemption of Luke, and then leading into uh, Ray taking on the moniker, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, that's her mm-hmm. surrogate family. Yeah. She's part of the Palpatine bloodline, but she's in the Skywalker family. Yeah. That's adopted her. 
Right, and even even Kylo Ren in in saving her, you know, using using his the left the what he had left of his life force to to give to her, you know, mm. even that is, you know, now the Skywalker is kind of a part of her, even though it might be a small part. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then, I I don't know. I think we think a lot about uh, Luke's role in in Ray's training and, and her life, but it's it's interesting looking at Revenge of the Sith through the eyes now of um, Luke talking about the, some of the failures of the Jedi Order. It sounded some way in some ways like Luke in Last Jedi was talking about the Jedi Order as I don't know the in a way that Anakin is talking about it. In this upcoming scene, where um, you oh, know, yeah. from my point of view, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Yes. It, it's it's kind of an interesting parallel that I never really thought about till now. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I but mean, it, I thought about it at the time because it is. It's it's echoing Anakin. It's like even though Luke's not going down to through the dark side of the Force path like Anakin did, it's the echo of the same thing. It's like the Jedi were to be trusted the jedi didn't always get it right mm. what is the right path you know it's it the dark side's not the right path the light side definitely is but how do you take that path well as some Maybe of the, the jedi was taking it in the right direction as some of the greatest poets of our time the lumineers stated that the opposite of love's indifference uh luke's indifference is i know that's a here we go a pop culture song reference but seriously like luke's indifference is almost darker than anakin's full turn because it's a it's a cynicism and skepticism that um m- makes him the failure uh it, it's not his his confrontation with kylo when he was young it's not his brief temptation to confront him and kill him which he then chooses not to it's his indifference and isolation that is his greatest mistake and that he has to overcome in in that way and i I don't know that it kind of reminds me of the um the the failures that luke saw in the jedi order are the same failures that anakin sees here and in some ways they're sort of they're sort of an excuse because the the jedi orders it's flawed and it failed uh, it's true vision, but at its at its core values, the the guardians of peace and justice, that's that is pure and that is noble. And and these Jedi Knights, while they lost their way in a fashion, I think it's far too easy to discard what what the Jedi Order was. And in the same way that Anakin dismisses them, and then later Luke dismisses them, um, they both realize they were wrong vader realizes it when luke declares i am a jedi like my father before me that's a declaration of of ideal of what the jedi should be and what the jedi were at their best and in the same way when luke says i am not the last jedi he is he's he's stating i am not the 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 pure version the ideal version of the jedi will carry on the message I see some fans kind of it's almost like they think the message of the films is that the Jedi are bad or something it's like no that was Palpatine's message yeah that people fell for but it was never necessarily the truth there may be some truth to it that they were losing their way but they were never bad mm. Mm. yeah my yeah, little green friend Aaron that's so funny you say that we actually Actually, just did an episode about that a few weeks ago about why the the Jedi are such a necessary part to every part of the saga. 
right? And and kind of looking at it in light of um, some of the questions raised in the 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 arc prior to Siege of Mandalore, um, right? And 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 the the two sisters like seeing the Jedi is just nothing but trouble, right? The Jedi are supposed to be peacekeepers, but they screwed up and they got our parents killed. Um, so just kind of raising the question of then what is the good of the Jedi? Are they good? And it's like, yeah, of course they are. And so we just kind of looked at how every saga, we, we just kind of looked at why they are necessary, um, both, both within the, the story of star Wars, but also even culturally, right? Like why did George Lucas choose to create something called the Jedi in the seventies and eighties? And then why did he choose to do what he did with them here in the two thousands? And then what are we doing with them now in the sequel trilogy? Um, and I think even in a cultural way, it, it raises great questions. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, George Lucas simply said, I want the Jedi there to remind people that spirituality is important. Um, and there's something noble about, you know, having a sense of spirituality. And then in the prequels, it's like, oh, it's looking at like what happens when religion becomes part of the state. Well, it usually becomes pretty corrupted, <laughs> right? Like we need to maintain yeah. its separation. Um, and then I feel like the sequels is made for the spiritual but not religious crowd, <laughs> um, right? Like that they're they're trying to hold on to the fruits of the spirituality of religions, but trying to shed the the shackles of the the dogmatic institutions. The dogmatic view of the Jedi. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> guys, this is my favorite shot right here. Oh, the conflict, the g- good versus evil, rising in the Senate chamber. Oh. Victoria's commentary when Yoda was fighting Dooku last night was, mm-hmm. oh, look at him. He jumps around like a little frog. <laughs> <laughs> he does jump around like a little frog. If you ever uh, play the original Battlefront 2, and, and the gameplay will, uh, will very much reflect that. Oh. I think she also is convinced that baby Yoda grows up to be actual Yoda. <laughs> She doesn't get the timeline yet. Like a Benja- Benjamin Button. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Right. I'm thinking it's something like that. It's just a big twist on it. Yeah. I, I, You know, as much as I think Revenge of the Sith struggles sometimes in narrative structure in the middle act, the, the sort of inevitable, uh, I don't know, train tracks that just lead straight to the betrayal of the Jedi Order and the fight with Obi-Wan. Like the final act of this film is pretty much in Riley's worldview Star Wars perfection. I love this. I love everything that's happening right now on the screen. Riley, how old were you when you saw this movie when it came out? I would have been 15 or 16 because I saw it the next I didn't see it in theaters. I kind of was, uh, I was getting into Star Wars slash the big sort of family event where me and Bethany were allowed to watch star Wars, like, because we had to wait till like everyone in the family could see it, um, was about, I want to say 2006 and seven. Those were the years where I was first really getting into it and watched all the movies. So I remember it being on DVD. It just come on DVD. Um, and that was the first time when we watched it. So yeah, I was about, about 15 and I was, I loved every bit of this. I was like, is it like this right here? Yoda freaking throws his lightsaber away. He faces off like he does against Dooku. You're like, oh, hot oh, damn. Probably, he, does, he doesn't throw it away. It gets knocked away. Well, that's true. It got knocked away. But uh, but like his little, little the look of determination here, like, yeah. get him, Yoda. Get him. 
So here's something, again, I just want to point out the difference between this this fight here in the movie compared to the book. And I've always, always, well, again, like I prefer everything in the book to this movie because <laughs> um, I just love it so much. But in the book, Yoda gets spanked the entire fight. And, and I love that because what Yoda realizes as he's fighting is, is that he's lost before the fight began because he chose to fight. Um, mm. Right. And he like, he learns this bitter truth of how far the Jedi have fallen from their way. And he realizes he needs to escape the fight so that he can let that truth live on. Um, and, and I love how that's in the book. And again, I, I get why they don't really go that route with the movie, right? We want to make it look pretty even, even keeled. Um, but, I really like that. Like, of course, Yoda's going to lose this fight because he's using a tool of the dark side by going in there to wage war. Um. Yeah. But musically, I think these two fights are, are both perfectly scored. I think it's so good that we get Duel of the Fates for Yoda versus Emperor, right? That Duel of the Fates. It's, there's something, like you were saying, Riley, it's the light versus the dark. It's good yeah. versus evil. And that's what Duel of the Fates is. Like, that's what that anthem is. Whereas Battle of the Heroes, right? It's this personal, mm. intimate fight between yeah. two lovers, really. Um yeah, it, it's and and I think the um, the contrast of the Anakin Obi Wan fight versus it, it, versus the Yoda and Palpatine fight is is pretty evident because they they literally intercut them really well. Where at the front portion, Yoda is quickly overwhelmed, out of his element, and quickly realizes like the second he jumps into the speeder with Bail Organa, he's like into exile. I must go. He realizes they've he's overstepped, he's lost his way, and it's time to reconnect with who he should be as a Jedi. Meanwhile, we have yeah. a whole nother second and third like section of the fight for Anakin and Obi-Wan because they're nearly perfectly matched against each other. And it's this epic duel of you know equal brothers who are equal almost entirely in skill. I'll never forget Nick yeah. Gillard in the behind-the-scenes talking about he always saw... Anakin as more skilled than Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan more disciplined, and that's how he choreographed this fight. Which, by the way, I will say, come at me, bro. This fight, greater, you know, greater than symbol, um, Duel of the Fates. I, I, it's just incredible. Uh, hard disagree. <laughs> I know, I know. Everybody, I feel like everybody disagrees with me, but it's the, um, I don't know, something about uh, the, the epic nature of this the the anakin versus obi-wan it just i get sucked in and the choreography is just obscene it's amazing it's really good <laughs> the only thing i disagree with that what i like about duel of the fates is it doesn't go as long as this one this just goes on a little too long for me duel of the fates yeah. also is i think it's much better choreographed to be completely honest um i think the emotional impact of this fight is certainly far more powerful um, and like the very last part here, it, I mean, the, my favorite part of the fight is actually the verbal exchanges between them, mm. even more than the lightsabers, because yeah. that's where the drama gets played up. And I wish they had done more of that. Um, but yeah, I think for me, and, well, at the end of the day, Riley, I mean, I might hard disagree, but it's opinion. Like, right? Sure. These yeah. Things are totally subjective. You're going to like which one you like, and that's cool. Um, but I just prefer the Duel of the Fates because I feel like the 
the choreography is just a little bit slower. It's it's shot a little bit better. So I don't know. I feel like I can see the fight better. Whereas that is here, true. There's a lot of zoom ins, and it's so fast that it's just like, what's going on? <laughs> the choreo. Um, I will grant you, especially the choreography part. I think is it's unparalleled. There's something so significant about that moment in Star Wars that's that you just really can't compare. And I, I, I can definitely grant. It. And here's the other fun fact. Yeah, we all all of us on the on the call on the podcast. Turns out vastly different opinions on different parts of the Star Wars saga, but we're all buddies and still like talking about Star Wars. So isn't that cool? Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> Riley, I'll back you up a little bit. I actually think that this battle has better moments than Duel of Fates. Um, I think I like Duel of Fates just because it's it's a shorter fight. Um, it's got some really cool stuff with Darth Maul and the choreography. But this yeah. feels more like a real fight, whereas that feels like a dance. It feels mm. very choreographed, almost overly choreographed. Yeah, I this just feels like a you know these guys are just like two brothers that would fight. Like I grew up with brothers, and like this is how brothers fight. You know, you just you you go at each other, and this yeah. just feels real. You just got to get to the high ground, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now the part where they're swinging on the ropes and stuff—that's kind of cheesy, but yeah, yeah that's I'm, a little cheese ball. I literally, uh, Aaron, you just made me love this fight in a whole new way. Thank you. Seriously, that's a that's a really great point though about how they are just a, it's it's a fight, it's a brawl, right? Whereas, I mean, and that's the thing I love about Duel of the Fates is how dance like it is, and and I like that because it's like, of course, the Jedi were trained to dance as they fight, kind of a thing. It's there's like a high art form to yeah. it. Um, whereas this is just like a you know bare bare knuckles brawl. Uh, that I, oh my gosh, Aaron, I love that point you just made. Hmm. Oh, it, here you uh, Ooh. Here it is. Ooh, ouch. Brutal. Yeah. This is hard to watch, guys, still. This not, is where, not even gonna lie. where Obi-Wan, right. he comes across as just really harsh at this point. Yeah. Where he just kind of watches this and then, you know, watches him catch fire. And I think he's just, like, done with him, you know? Wouldn't you be? I don't know. I'm not blaming him. I, I just feel like, you know, Obi-Wan can be a very matter-of-fact guy, and I, this really highlights it, where he's just like, hey, man, you went dark, and I just defeated you. I'm going to let you catch fire. You know, he just walked away. I mean, he could have went down many... there and grabbed Anakin and dragged him up. And I think he should have killed Anakin. I mean, right. if he's really, you know, if he feels that this is his brother and his brother's turned to the dark side and his limbs are cut off and he's catching on fire and he's miserable. He's dying in front of him. It's like, put him out of his misery. Just it, don't leave him there to die like that. It's a, I, I think him catching on fire surprised Obi-Wan. You know, I think he was kind of like watching him, And then when he catches, then Obi-Wan's like, Oh crap. And he, yeah. see, he turns his head. He's just like, Ooh, okay. Maybe I should have put him out of his misery. But how many times throughout how many times throughout the last hour has Anakin had a chance to change his mind? Like I go I go back to Aaron saying he's not sympathetic. Like this is hard to watch, but like he's had a lot of opportunity. I think the last chance yeah. he had was when Padme said, Obi-Wan knows about us, he wants to help you and yeah, and then Anakin engaged the fight, and he still rejected her. Yeah, that was really that was the Last second time. or third lifeline he had that he that he rejected. Um, but I, I I do say it it is such a gut wrenching scene to see, and and Ewan McGregor is is to credit for this, but 
you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Like that, that's something that, I don't know. You don't really, it's, it's kind of a rare moment in Star Wars to see that level of raw emotion. Really, the only other time I can think of that is, um, you know, Luke's reaction to discovering Vader being his father and um, Leia's reaction to Han Solo being frozen in carbonite. Like, there are these, these moments that are the turning points of the saga that just sort of are imprinted in my brain as, as someone who's, you know, been a fan of this this story for so many years and it's just unforgettable. I think Ben and Han have a moment kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And rise of Skywalker. I think that's comparable, but, um, I think that's where star Wars is at its best operatic, uh, storytelling. I, I mean, um, I think of the very first one of, um, uncle Owen and aunt brew. I, that these, these kind of moments of tragedy that, spawn transformation it's kind of ironic in in some ways luke's moment of transformation in a new hope where he sees what's happened to his aunt and uncle um that spurs his embracing the destiny i want to become a jedi like my father or like well he didn't know his father but i want to become a jedi and learn the ways of the force uh this moment of transformation is uh is um, is equally potent it's it's anakin's um I guess complete fall. Mm. So Obi Wan thinks he's dead, right? Isn't that yes? yes. Okay. Um, I will say another thing. I, I I appreciate though with um the way that the sequel trilogy shakes out with Episode Nine, um, and you know and 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 why I think it does work with Palpatine being back. Um, again, don't think he had to be, but I think it certainly works and, um, it works well in, in the context of how I now see the three trilogies. So, right. The, the first trilogy is a very galactic scale story, um, that plays out in a very personal character's life. Um, think about the original trilogy though. The majority of that story is the band of heroes, in a very personal way, winning the day. Yeah. Um, the galactic consequences are much more minimized in the originals, but the sequels, it's, they kind of bring it back to that large galactic scale. Mm. So I think in that way, it kind of works. Um, you know, um, and also I love the inversion of episode nine with episode three here, right? Like that, that, uh, like Savannah was saying, right? Like Anakin's last opportunity for, Turning, turning away from his his mis, his bad deeds was Padme saying, "Come away with me," you know. All I need is your love. Love won't save you, Padme. Only my new power will do that. Whereas we learn in Episode Nine that power comes from love, not the other way around, right? And that's why Ben finishes what his grandfather started. Is he's able to learn power over death, and it's not by gaining power; it's by giving your life away and and giving yourself to someone in love. That's where true power mm. lies. And so I love that, that, that the completion of that arc. Yeah. Carl Savannah's nodding emphatically, but she's also grabbing a snack. So I just thought I'd tell you <laughs> she says she, and I'm with you too, by the way. Um, that's a great parallel of, you know, and Anakin's failure is the, is, is Kylo Ren's success in, in that way. Um, uh, Also, I want to make a note right now. 
um, from something a friend of mine said when we were watching this a couple weeks ago. It, so this is my friend Jazz's point. It's not mine, um, but it's so great of tying episodes two and three together. Uh, that really, f- I love the monologue that Anakin gives to Padme by the the fire. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he says, you know, the thought of not being with you, I can't breathe. The way they cut this closing montage, right as Padme dies, we then cut to Darth Vader taking his first breath, a.k.a. Anakin can no longer breathe on his own. And I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. Yeah. It's dark, but yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that it gives credence to my favorite monologue in all of film. So. Yeah, that's true. That was that. I'm, right. That was the monologue I used when I tried out for plays in high school. Oh yeah. <laughs> <was the> <laughs> yeah. Also, this scene is terrifying. He's getting put in a coffin. Like it's so. Oh, I feel so claustrophobic every time, and I love it. I when we were prepping to like watch this, I was like, Riley, my parents let me watch this at eight, ten, something like that, and I was like, Do you think they regretted it? Well, I guess Aaron, you can say, is this. I don't know. I wasn't scarred, but it seems scarring. I mean, it's the only it's it was the first PG-13 Star Wars film. Has Quinn seen it? Um, he's never sat down and really watched it. You know, it's been on when he's around, but he's just now kind of going through the the movies. He's he's regained interest in Star Wars as he's gotten a little older. Yeah, I think I was young enough to like where I was so innocent. It was Maybe not this one, but some of them were. I was so innocent, it kind of went over my head. Yeah. There's the line, they're still good in him. Yeah. The birth of the twins. Mm. Well, and that's another, so another great mirror is Padme's last words about, right, um, like Padme firmly believes, even as she goes to the grave, that they're still good in Anakin. Leia's point to Han in Force Awakens is there's still light in him. I know it. Right? Mm. Um, yeah. So this is actually Hayden in the costume. Yeah. And I always thought that was a mistake because he just looks scrawny compared to what I'm used to seeing with Vader. Yeah. It's like he hasn't bulked up yet. He hasn't hit. The, he hasn't started hitting the gym. <laughs> You killed her. It's your fault. I couldn't have. It's... Oh, the no heard round the world. I've never minded that. I don't know why people got so upset about it. Aaron, you're grumpy. What do you think? (laughs) Are you you a no person or, or no to the no? Wait, are you asking me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's cheesy. I don't like that they added it into the original trilogy. Mm. I think I it works here, was... though. I think it works. It's fine. It doesn't bother me that much. It's yeah. not It's not in my top ten of things that bother me in Star Wars. Yeah. I remember that being the thing, and I've totally forgotten about it because it's been so many years I don't hear anybody talk about it much anymore. Yeah. Side note, I want a whole podcast of Aaron's top 10, What Bothers You About Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be good. Jar Jar would be on it. (laughs) Um, Aaron, Aaron, maybe on the Wampusler, we'll do negative November. We'll have you on for the whole month. (laughs) 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 
things for every negative <laughs> thing I have to say about Star Wars, I have like a hundred positive things. So yeah, I just like to be real. That's sweet. yeah. No, that's so smart, right? Yeah, there's there you go. It's important. It's not all perfect, and yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like the uh, they lay the foundation so well leading into New Hope here. I was talking about it a little bit earlier, but the the fact that they tie Qui Gon in here is just so awesome, and I and I I'm so sad that we don't get some f- semi-corporeal form of the character returning. I, I, yes. I think it was literally a schedule conflict with uh, Liam Neeson. I think there was originally some kind of appearance of Qui-Gon scheduled for the end of the I film. I was so disappointed that we didn't get to hear him in this. And and I thought, well, maybe he was just like, they couldn't you know pay him enough. He was asking too much money. But then when we hear his voice in the Clone Wars, I was like, yeah. wait a second. If they can't afford him for that, why not this? Yeah. But going back to what Carl's always talking about, the novelization has yeah. that scene in it. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The voice. Yeah. So like when Yoda's meditating there right before Bale shows up to say, oh, Obi-Wan's me contact. Um, that's they did actually shoot that scene. They have, if you put in the DVD, that's a deleted scene. I mean, it's just a cinematic, basically, and it's not even Liam Neeson's voice, but you have the conversation. Mm. Um, uh, I wanted to note though, uh, when I was watching Empire Strikes Back uh, not too long ago, right, and and something folks have been freaking out about ever since Revenge of the Sith came out was like, or since Phantom Menace came out, I was like, why did you know? Why did Obi Wan say Yoda's the one that taught him? Right, Attack of the Clones kind of undoes that by saying, well, like he taught all the young Padawans. But I think it makes perfect sense with Revenge of the Sith because in a very real way, Yoda is going to be teaching Obi-Wan new ways of using the Force thanks to Qui-Gon. So in a very real way, for the last 20 years, Yoda has been the one who taught him. Um, so I think it makes perfect sense. Why would yeah. you tell Luke about Qui-Gon, who's literally not around, when Yoda, who probably instructed him how to, how to even learn the ability to retain his self after death, um, of course, that's who he's going to reference to Luke. So I think mm-hmm. it actually does work very well. Better yeah. Tarkin, prosthetic makeup Tarkin or CGI Tarkin? Ooh, CGI. I know CGI. Yeah, I'd I, say CGI. CGI, but there. I listen with the the CGI is so good, it's creepy. Like it's that uncanny valley of where it's like it's right there. It's ninety nine percent, but there's that tiny little bit. You're like, wait, he, it's not Peter Crushing. He's dead. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, Alderaan, it's so beautiful. Get blown up? It really is. It, it sure does get blown up. <laughs> next next movie. Spoiler alert, everybody. I only know that because of Dragon Con. Because <laughs> of the last party. Last party on Alderaan. Yeah, that's the name of the planet. Yep, that's the one that gets blown up. Yep, true story. Well, guys, we're right, we're right here at the end. I, I I guess I gotta. I want to go around the circle and kind of get some thoughts on 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 sort of how your view of Revenge of the Sith and and maybe the prequels as a whole has changed in the Disney era and the clo- and the post Clone Wars era. Um, and maybe uh, some final thoughts. Let's start with uh, you, Mister Bruce Gibson. I don't know. I, I I need time to process this movie. Um, <laughs> No, <laughs> it's been to, dude. It's been fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one is still one of my favorites, if not my favorites. This and Empire are two mm. of my favorites. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy this one because it's so dramatic and there's a lot going on, and and the turn of Anakin to Vader, and I mean, this just this is everything I wanted 
from the prequels. Mm. I mean, not to say that we can skip one and two, but this one really is the ultimate prequel movie for me. And uh, because it answers all the questions I've wanted to know since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I was older when this came out, but um, but the sequel trilogy, I guess it hasn't really changed my thoughts on this that much. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't really. I don't really look at it all that differently, except to know that Palpatine just continues on past the original trilogy. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I see some parallels between this and uh, the Rise of Skywalker. I was noticing that. There's yeah. just, I think, because there's both have so much story into them. Yeah, Mister uh, Mister Carl. What was the question? Oh, I just kind of curious how, <laughs> uh, kind of reflecting, having watched this now, how your view of Revenge of the Sith and maybe even the prequels has changed uh, in the post Disney era. I've loved them more in the post Disney era. I've I've always liked the prequels. Um, I was kind of that perfect age when they came out. That, I mean, when Revenge of the Sith came out, I was I was a freshman in college, um, and. I remember being aware of some of the cynicism at that point. Um, but I always liked them. And, yeah. And, and, you know, things I've liked about them have, have changed and evolved in the last 15 years. But I would mm. say since the Disney era, um, it's made me love them even more. Like, I, I, I'd still rank my favorite trilogies in the order that they were released. I mean, the original's my favorite, then the prequel trilogy, and then the sequel trilogy. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I love this trilogy and I think it does a fantastic job yeah. of being prequels to the originals insofar as showing us I mean yeah specifically I mean Phantom Menace is my favorite of the prequels still um, and because uh, it shows us the golden age yeah right um, and I think that's so important and even from like a, a, a biblical mythical standpoint right we got we got our Garden of Eden story and then the original trilogy is kind of the um, it's the redemption story. Um, so I don't know what the sequel trilogy is in that regard. I don't know the Holy Spirit mm. story, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, it's 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 an interesting way to look at it for how I don't know it's it's transformed over time and 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 it's and I feel like it's different even now in the light of Rise of Skywalker specifically. There's this sort of sense of finality. Well, let me ask you, Aaron. Uh, final thoughts. What do you think um, in the post Skywalker saga as much as you know Rise of Skywalker was marketed as such has it changed how you reflect on the prequels um, maybe a little bit I mean every time I watch any Star Wars movie I can always find a lot about them that I, I like I think the the prequels are it's probably my least favorite of the three trilogies um, but I would say this time watching it with all of you guys has been the most fun I've had watching this particular movie so maybe I'm just doing it wrong. <laughs> maybe I just need to be watching the prequels with the right people. Listen, but, on Cinco de Mayo with margaritas. That's the way to watch the right, uh, yeah. Revenge of the Sith. But yeah, so I i mean, I've never been a huge, like, I don't love the prequels, but this has always been my favorite of the three, um, of the three prequels. And yeah, I and mean, there's just a lot of cool stuff in it. I don't know that like the new era of you know Disney and all that has really changed my view on the prequels. It's kind of the same, hmm. but um, yeah, yeah, I think we should do this more often. So maybe we should do you know Phantom Menace next. No, let's let's do it. Let's do it. When did the Phantom Menace come out? Like what May nineteenth or something? 
We'll uh, we'll do it like there we go. Uh, my beautiful wife Savannah, who uh, made all these awesome red and black balloons and prequel memes and posters and this awesome Revenge of the Fifth Party. Thank you. You're awesome. Also, what do you think of the Star Wars prequels? So I mean, get a little meta, but we did have a few glasses of sangria so well we've been watching Battlestar Galactica and one of the mythologies that we hear in Battlestar is this is all happened before and this will all happen again and so maybe I'm a little jaded like Aaron but no one of the trilogies feels final to me I feel like the major arc of Star Wars is if you zoom back the fight between good versus evil will always exist. And that's just kind of how I feel about all of these. Like we kind of zoom into the different stories of the Skywalkers and whatnot. And to me, it's just kind of like one part of it, but it's really just the, the good versus the evil, which we all want good to triumph, which is what I guess we get in the end with Kylo or Ben. Can I, can I really, can I agree with Savannah? Yeah. Okay. Because I agree with you, Savannah. <laughs> I think that is you, what you said is so true about Star Wars is that it doesn't end. You know, Star Wars is forever. We hear, we hear that a lot, and it is true because even I think uh, Carl brought it up, kind of like, well, we Pal- Palpatine, for all we know, he could still be alive after Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, he could be, and maybe the next generation has to fight him. You know, maybe we're you know like there's always going to be more movies. There's no trilogy that's going to end star wars you know there's never finality there's not going to have that perfect final ending because there is no ending it's always going to be more movies always more tv shows and i kind of love that and i I think that just goes to how transcendent the themes are in star wars and how much they relate to like wherever you're at watching them too Mm. Amen. Was that, was that too meta? No. You just wrapped up this podcast. I will not sully the ending of this podcast by mouthing off with my own opinions. You guys said it perfectly. Like, that's really well said. I re- really appreciate you guys um, coming on the podcast and sitting down and having a great, com- you know, it's a Star Wars hangout conversation. Had a great time with you guys. Um, you know what? Uh, let's. We'll go around the room. Um, Carl, uh, plug the things. Uh, make sure you uh, let people know where they can find Wampus Lair and any other Star Wars stuff you're up to. Yeah, well, um, we're obviously part of the Star Wars Report Network, so you can find us, you know, wherever you find podcasts, Wampus Lair Podcast. We're on Twitter at Wampus Lair, um, Facebook, Wampus Lair Podcast. Uh, right now, we're currently running, so the month of May, we're, we're calling it Musical Mayhem. Um, we're doing an all-music-themed uh, month um, where we're looking at different types of music each week um, in, in Star Wars. So just this past week, we looked at non-movie music, so we looked at stuff from video games, um, the Shadows of the Empire score because it's freaking great. Um, things like that. We're also running a uh, a, uh, a themed a musical themed tournament all month, kind of similar to uh, what we do in in for March Madness with the This Is Madness tournament with characters. Um, we've got a list of 32 of the main theme songs all across Star Wars from the movies to the TV shows, where every day you get to vote on what your favorite musical theme is. Um, so you nice. can find that on our Twitter or on our Facebook. You can vote every single day. Yeah, and, and yeah, tune into Wampus Lair. It's awesome, especially for the upcoming Aaron Goins episode. I can't wait. Yeah, Although you not, might have to wait till well, November, I hear. <laughs> you have to wait till no, negative November, and it'll be it'll be great. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm holding you to this. <laughs> Dude, I can't wait. Mr. Uh, Mr. Bruce Gibson? Yo, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing podcast stuff. So, that's, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. 
And then I do literary treks about the books and comics. As, as I mentioned, uh, Alan Dean Foster, we interviewed him. That uh, is coming out May 10th, that episode. Of course, it's all about Star Trek, but I talked to him offline about Star Wars. So we go. bonded on Star Wars. So, But nice. you won't get to hear that on there. Um, but yeah, and then I do another show called Positively Trek. And that's a weekly show you can check out too with me and Dan Gunther. And that's about it. Nice, nice. It's uh listen. Um Star Trek. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It is uh, Mr. Aaron Goins, I know Star Wars Bookworms a thing. Tell people where they can find it and find you on the internet. Um I'm actually gonna I'm gonna promote all my podcasts because I don't usually do that. Do it. And I know you guys have a lot of listeners, so I'm gonna take advantage <laughs> of that. Exactly. Um Yeah, so Star Wars Bookworms. I do that with Teresa Delgado and it's a podcast where we review Star Wars novels mostly. Sometimes we get into some of the other stuff. Uh, I also do a podcast called Mouse and Castle with uh, Riley Blanton. Hey! You may have heard of him. Uh, where we do a lot of Disney stuff and talk about Disney parks and movies and such. I also do a podcast called Bad Wolf Radio with Adam Farmer, which is all about Doctor Who. And I do a podcast, or I used to do a podcast, called uh, Star Scavengers, which was we reviewed all the episodes of Freemaker Adventures and Lego All-Stars, which you can find on Disney Plus now. So if you missed it the first time around, go watch them on Disney Plus, and then you can listen to the podcast. There you go. Um, and that's it. Nice. Uh, on Twitter, at AV Goins is yep. where you can find all those things. Uh, hey, you can also, uh, yes, yeah, stay uh, in touch with the show here. Uh, great way you can uh, support the show. Best way to support the show is at Patreon, patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Uh, catch our, and I'm about to record them uh, at the end of the week, our uh, ongoing commentary series. I have only two more episodes, the last two episodes of The Clone Wars. Uh, I'm doing uh, commentary episodes on the Patreon bonus podcast, Rogue Transmissions, that you can catch at any level. But you can check out all the cool rewards we have at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Follow the show at Star Wars Report. Uh, or just facebook.com slash Star Wars Report. Star Wars uh, Report.com, of course. That's the home and the hub of everything. Uh, you can find show notes, links to all of the various shows in the network. It's a good time. And uh, Star Wars Report, if you don't subscribe to the show, subscribe and tell a friend about it. Uh, it's available wherever you download podcasts. Uh, guys, I really appreciate you listening. Um, seriously, it's been a, an absolute, absolute blast talking Revenge of the Sith and our sort of like hipstery counterculture anti-May the 4th campaign that we just did. Well, not really. We, we just had a good time celebrating uh, Revenge of the Sith. The timing worked out perfect with the new Clone Wars episodes. So uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, all I'm going to say is may the force be with you. And you know what? Let's finish it with this. The end of the war is near. Something's happening. I'm not the Jedi I should be. Know the power of the dark side, Anakin. Very dangerous putting them together. I don't think the boy can handle it. The boy you trained, gone he is, consumed by Darth Vader. You were the chosen one! The Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. Rated PG-13. 
Rated PG-13. Oh. It kind of kills the mood there. 